as well as the others. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. I'm starting a study in Philippians tonight. I was going to do it a few weeks ago, and, and uh, so I decided to copycat Pastor. He was waiting till Awana was over, and he was going to begin the week after Awana, so I held it off. And I just had some problems here because... When I teach a book of the Bible, I usually dive right into it. As a matter of fact, when we have an introductory lesson for Sunday school, uh, when we start teaching a book in Sunday school, I usually just, just make it half the lesson and I just, I just go right into the verses. Tonight, we're not going to do that. We have an introductory message to the book of Philippians. And a lot of things have gone through my mind with this. Because as I've looked over this book to get a good overview over the last several weeks and, and, and just see the, the high points and, and things like that, it makes me think of what a good read this is. Uh, a good, blessed, daily reading in the Word of God. I remember when we were all in Romans chapter 12 and we were reading that one chapter over and over and I remember hearing the talk from people about the, the blessings of reading that. And, and, then the, and then the talk came up again about reading, and people were reading different books of the Bible. And a lot of you had continued. But if you're almost finished up with one, or if you need a new book to read, um, Philippians would be a great one. I'm going to just talk about this book tonight in such a way that, that maybe if you choose to read this, make this your daily reading, you can, you can take some notes maybe and, and, and see the points in, in every different portion of the chapter of what's being said, of why it's being said. You know, when you, when you start to, to read or look at a, uh, a book of the Bible, you, you want to know who's writing. You want to know who's being written to and, and, and what the subject is, what the occasion is and things like that. So, of course, here in... Philippians, we have the Apostle Paul, and he's the one who is, he's the author, and he's writing to the church at Philippi. This was the first book of the Bible I ever taught all the way through, and that was 11 years ago. And as I've been looking at this book over the last couple of weeks, I'm thinking, maybe I just made a mistake by waiting 11 years to go back into this book again. But... But it would make a good read. I hope you choose to do so. I'll be teaching this upstairs, but also down here whenever I'm, I'm needed. So we can, we can maybe stay, stay connected that way through a reading of this. You know, many of Paul's letters are very bold and they're very aggressive and they're full of a lot of correction. I mean, that's what the church needed that he was writing to. Corinth, you know they needed a lot of correction. The Galatians, who were, they were saved by grace, but they started listening to Judaizers, which were saying you have to keep the law and do works to be saved. And so Paul was very bold and aggressive with them. This letter to Philippi, it's unlike any of the other letters that Paul wrote to churches. In one way, we could call it a thank you letter. A thank you letter full of love and joy. Because he was so thankful to them for the giving that they did. 
As Paul was on his missionary journey, they gave to him. They gave to him once and they gave to him again. No other churches were doing it, but they weren't trying to follow other churches and do or not do what other churches were doing. They felt the need to give to Paul for a good cause as he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and they did. So Paul writes to them for their giving heart. I see this as the most primary reason for this letter. It's initiated in the beginning of the letter, and it will end that way. And it's, and it's a great expression. It's a beautiful expression of a grateful heart to someone for their giving. You know, I don't want to get too far off track, but I just started thinking about that. And as I looked at the words that, that Paul was saying to them, giving is a powerful ministry. It creates a lot of inseparable bonds. It creates amazing bonds between people when we give. Some can give more than others. Some have a way of giving that others can't. Because I'm not just talking about money or something. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about somebody that simply may know a trade and, and they, they go and they help someone in a time of need with something in their home or something to do with their automobile. It's a, it's a blessing to, to give to someone else. It's more blessed to give than receive. I'm not talking about thinking about being on the receiving end of it. We are sometimes, and we're thankful for that. But to be a giver with what we have, however we have, in whatever way we can do it. It's a blessing to give. And this church has given to Paul, and it has just changed the tone of this letter from any other that he had written. He was thankful for their giving. For their giving heart. But he also writes concerning their harmony as a church. Now, overall, as I study this book and look at it, I believe the harmony was good. There was unity in the church, there was harmony. Paul was thankful for the church. There wasn't a lot of correction written concerning this church. Overall, there was unity. But in chapter 4, verse 2 of this letter, we're going to see where there are two members of the church. There are two women of the church mentioned, and that's Yodius and Syntyche. And they were quarreling with one another. They were causing a disturbance in the church. They had their own opinions that they wanted to see come to fruition in the church. They want what they wanted in the church. One wanted to top the other one, and the other wanted to top them. They didn't want to come to agreement. They wanted what they wanted. And the cause of Christ was put on the back burner, was neglected. So throughout the letter, we will share many things that brings unity and flings division. Paul writes and he, and he touches... He doesn't mention these two ladies until the last chapter, but he touches on things that bring unity, and just putting, putting a, a spotlight, if you will, on the importance of unity in the church. He also wrote to prevent harassment of his friend Epaphroditus. The church 
at Philippi, they sent Epaphroditus to take a gift to Paul while he's in prison. Well, whether that gift was money, whether it was blankets, whether it was clothes, it was, it was something to meet his needs. And they send Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus doesn't come back too quick. What do you think some people might be thinking? Kept the gift for himself. I don't know what, what some of them might have been thinking. But Paul suspected a critical attitude possibly toward Epaphroditus with his delay. I mean, they got, they had message sent to them that he was sick. Well, what kind of sick are you? Why, why are you gone so long? Paul clearly writes to them saying he was sick and he almost died. And, and he makes that clarity concerning Epaphroditus. You know why? Because of assumption. So many times the way our natural mind works and the way we think in the flesh, it's so easy to assume. It's almost like we want to assume. We hear something about somebody or there, somebody's not here and, and we, we hear this or we see that and immediately... The flesh, in the flesh, one would want to brainstorm to, to figure out what that case is. That, that's probably the deal. That's why they did that. That's why they said that about this person. That's why they're not here. So many people love to act on half a story and just want to be the, get to the, the bottom of it in their own mind without the facts and details. And so, Paul's leery of this. This possibility that they were going to, to act this way, to be critical toward his friend Epaphroditus. So he addresses the issue clearly. He also writes this letter to prevent heresy, though. Now, Second Peter was all about false teaching. Here, it touches on false teaching, like a refreshing and a repetitive teaching that was very much needed everywhere in that day and time. I don't think the church had a big issue with it, but nevertheless, it, it was it was good doctrine that always needed to be brought up and taught. Beware of the false teachers. And and so, you know, some people call Philippians the book of joy. And joy, whether it's a synonym of the word joy or joy or rejoice, joy, the, the subject of joy is mentioned at least 19 times in this four-chapter book. So you want to know how to have joy? You want to hear God's Word refresh you on, on being a rejoicing child of God no matter what? Read the book of Philippians. And, and so we find uh, in these four chapters, if I were to break them down, some people attributed this to J. Vernon McGee, some did not. I believe this is his outline for it. But chapter 1, we see a philosophy for Christian living. And for a key verse in this chapter, I'm going to read one that's familiar to you, and that would be verse 21, which says, For to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. And then in chapter 2, we find a pattern for Christian living. And we find the example of Jesus' humility. And we find the most, some of the most beautiful words of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 
If you would listen while I read, it says, starting in verse 5 of 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that. I believe that concerning every religion that is out there. That is wrong. I, I believe every religion around the world is wrong if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Savior. You can, you can agree with a whole lot of people and have a little harmonious conversation if you say, I believe in God as Creator. But that, but that doesn't get you to heaven. It's only Jesus Christ. I, I hope everyone in this room has confessed Him and believed in Him as Lord and Savior in this life. Everyone will. After this life, it's too late. It's too late then, though. I, I believe that. I believe every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. I hope and I pray and I witness that they will in this life. A pattern for Christian living we find from the great example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, the prize for Christian living. I'm going to talk about these verses in a little bit. I want to read them right now in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, as we consider the prize for Christian living. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, we find the power for Christian living. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let's look at these chapters, and man, I base this, and I can't get my mind off the hopes that, that you will read this, that maybe you'll make a note or two in your Bible, or maybe on your tablet, and you'll make a daily reading of this, and, and uh, let us know what we're reading. In chapter 1, in verses 1 and 2, in the, the opening greetings of the letter, we find something different here. A lot of times, the Apostle Paul titles himself as apostle. He, the letters that he does that in, it's because 
there have been lies and rumors made against Paul concerning his apostleship, saying that he was an apostle of man and not of God. So in the letters that he titles himself apostle, it is to confirm to the people, to take a defensive stand for himself that he is an apostle of God. And he expounds on that in the letters that he does that in. Concerning this letter to the church at Philippi, there's no problem with his apostleship. There's no problem of a lot of false doctrine being able to come into the church. So I believe he titles himself that which he desires to title himself, and that is a servant. And that word servant there means a bond slave. He is not ashamed to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he he says so in the opening salutation there. A little something else. That might be good for the two lady members of the church that are quarreling and they want to be served by one another rather than serve. It's good for them too. But Paul loved to talk about himself as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and a servant of God, a bond slave. And then he goes on in verses 3 through 8, good reading when you get there. He goes on to express his thankfulness to them. I mean, he gets right into it, right there in the beginning of the letter. Before the opening greetings are are over, he just gets right into expressing how grateful and how thankful he is for them and the giving that, that was bestowed upon him. He continues the chapter, let's let's say go to uh, verse 12 and through verse 20, Paul talks about his imprisonment. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. No doubt there are some members of the church maybe that got discouraged at what had come upon Paul. And he talks about his imprisonment in a positive light. He talks about the positive things that have resulted. Because he was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And then in prison, guess what he did? He preached the gospel. And guess what happened to some ministers that were outside prison living in the public streets who had winced and had had become shy with their witness, afraid of the persecution. You know what happened to them? They got bold. They got bold knowing that Paul was preaching the gospel in prison. So they did the same thing. And he expounds on these things to encourage them to put his imprisonment in a positive light. And then in verses 21 through 30, he encourages them to be bold in a time of suffering and a time of affliction. Paul himself was going through that and he encourages them to be bold and to stand for Christ. I I tell you, there's an aggressive world. that The world's always been aggressive. It's getting even more aggressive today. And we need to speak the truth in love. We We want our enemies to be saved. But we need to be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he encourages them to be bold no matter what comes upon them. And a verse in that, that just hit, it's hitting my mind right now and not leaving, is verse 29. He tells them, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That, that word given in verse 29, it's the idea of an opportunity. 
It's Everyone has an opportunity to believe, and it's a great opportunity to suffer for Christ's sake. And we get into Paul talking about that in, in chapter 3 and the positive things about it. But he encourages them to be bold in their suffering and affliction. And then in chapter 2, he begins with an exhortation to unity. The first four verses are about unity in the church. And then, and then he gives a sevenfold beautiful example for unity in Christ in His humility in verses 5 through 8, which we read earlier. And then those verses 9 through 11, where there is an exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we titled that, that chapter, A Pattern for Christian Living. And, and so we have this example in Christ. We have the exaltation in Christ. And then in verses 12 through 16, we are moved, we are urged that we ought to have an outward working of our inward salvation. As we look at these words that glorify our Lord and Savior who has saved us, we ought to be having an outward working of our inward salvation. He's, he's worthy of it. He deserves it. That's our purpose while we're here. In verse 12, the, the heart of that thought might be to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There ought to be an outward working of this inward salvation that He has saved us with. And then in verses 19, 19 through 24, Paul is requesting that the arrival of Timothy will be received by the church. Paul cannot go at the time. Paul's been hindered. He, the way he thinks of Timothy is, hey, he's coming in my place. He can, I'm, I have the most confidence in Timothy coming in my place. He will care about you just the way I care for you. He's sincere. You're going to see us sincere. He's sincere. He's coming in my place. And then in verses 25 through 30, that's where Paul requests the approval uh, of Epaphroditus' arrival. That he, that he would be received by the church, that he would be received in love, and that he wouldn't be received in assumption and that he wouldn't be received by a possible critical spirit about him. Paul has said himself, he was the kind of sick where he almost died. And then we go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is such a thorough explanation of Christianity. Chapter 3 is the full Christian experience. If we were all stranded on an island together, and they said you can have five chapters of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, I believe Philippians chapter 3 ought to be in the top five. I think that's the one we, that we would want to vote in that circumstance and have. It's such a, a full experience of salvation. After, and, and it begins with the warning, uh, beware of false teachers. It begins with that. And after that, Paul summed up everything he was as a human being. Everything he was in his own qualities as, as a goose egg. Zero. All of his accomplishments, everything that he had done with the work of his own hands, he saw that as nothing compared to the excellency 
of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Compared to him, everything about him in the flesh had zero value. No one can substitute themselves in any way for any part of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are some people that they would, they would kindly tip their hat to Jesus Christ for you. And then they would turn around and say, I, I think weak people need the church all the time. I don't, I don't need the church. I'll, I'll decide what to do with my money. I'll decide what to do with my time after I've been working hard all weekend. Or I'll decide in the middle of the week when I'm really tired if I want to lay up in my recliner or not. People tip their hat to Jesus, but, but then want to claim a confidence in themselves for different. None of that belongs to us. It all belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the slightest measure of His glory can you and I take for anything we do. It's not ours to take. All glory belongs to the Lord. And Paul emphasizes that so beautiful in these verses that, that, that we've read in, in chapter 3. And then in verses 10 through 14, he expresses such a great passion for knowing Christ. That he might know Christ by dying to himself and rising in Christ, suffering for Christ's sake, pursuing Christ's likeness. And as it says, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're, we're all called to this kind of mindset. We're all called to the mindset that we're of zero value without Christ. We're all called to the same mindset about Jesus Christ. We're nothing without Him, and He deserves all our glory. Our focus should all together be on Christ. As this book touches and talks about unity and harmony, when Christ has His place in our mind and in our hearts, when He has all of our focus, we're going to have that clearly and more than ever in common. And there's going to be unity and there's going to be harmony when Christ has His rightful place in all of our lives. He wants us to be minded this way. To be minded any other way is going to hurt. It's going to cause division if we're minded another way. I think, I believe Paul is sweetly there talking about Yodis and Syntyche right there. When they're, they're, they're minded a different way, than on Christ. And it's causing division and it's causing some problems. The number one focus for binding us together is Christ and nothing else is meant to be on the church's mind more than the Lord Jesus. Nothing else belongs there. And it's more than thinking about Him. It's thinking like Him. The Bible says we've received the mind of Christ. And the more we mature in Christ, the more we appropriate that which we already have. And we think like Him. Pressing for the prize. And that's following Christ 
and walking together with those who follow Christ. That's the calling we find. We also find in this chapter that our citizenship is already in heaven. And we find that one day that we're going to match His countenance. You know, we, we're going to hear Christ, we're going to see Christ, and we're going to be like Him one day. That, that's worthy of the consumption of our heart and our minds. Chapter 4, verse 2, he calls out the two ladies in a quarrel. He calls them out in love, and it's very gentle. Like I said, it's not like his tone with Corinth. It's not like his tone with the churches in Galatia. He called, but he calls them out in love. And then in verse 4, a verse we're all familiar with, it's a command to joy always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. As you read that, would you think about who God is using to write that? The Apostle Paul. And would you think about the condition that he's in as he writes that? Because he's a prisoner. He's innocently there in prison. And he speaks that with a full joy. He currently has a full joy while he is in prison. That's somebody you can listen to. You can, you can listen to someone say, rejoice in the Lord always. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't, you don't know my circumstances. It's hard to do that with Paul. It shouldn't be done with the Word of God anyway. But Paul, in that condition, is in a full joy. And then as we start to close, we have other verses you're very familiar with. A pattern for peace begins in verse 6. I'm going to read that. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. When concern starts to rise to worry, the remedy, the system from God here, is that our prayers would rise. Concern, we're all going to be concerned. I think there's something wrong if we, we don't have a level of concern. But when that wants to rise to worry, our prayers need to rise. Our prayers should rise before that. We should pray without ceasing. But definitely we have this system that prayers rise when anxiety tries to rise. It's the pattern for peace. And the prayer is to begin with thankfulness to God. You know, Paul's in prison and he's writing and, and he's just overwhelmed with thankfulness for them. And you and I... Wherever we find ourselves, whatever we find ourselves going through, God is always worthy of thankfulness. You might not be able to thank Him for your certain condition at the time, even though that's biblical, but there's always something to be thanking Him for in all that we go through. Paul's mind wasn't on prison when he was so overwhelmingly grateful for this church and thankful to them. So we see, we see a pattern, a pattern for peace. That's the secret to peace and that surpasses all. It guards our heart that we would go to the Lord instead of wince in our circumstances. And then in verse eight, we're given some really 
great things to think on. And notice all of those things that, that we can think on, they'll, they'll always exist. Whatever's true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And then it goes on to say, do these things. In other words, let, let's, let's bring these all together. When, when concern rises, prayer rise, rises, we are praying with a grateful, thankful heart to God. And we think on all these things and we do these things and the God of peace will be with you. I, I preached a sermon several years ago called Fundamentals of the Faith. And there are some simple patterns from God for us on things we miss out on. And he clearly just lays it out in his word. We not only see a pattern for peace, but as we start to close this, we see a pattern for contentment in verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm encouraged when I see that, I mean, I see athletes with that, with that, uh, verse on their, on their jersey. I mean, that's a popular verse. I see it everywhere. And that's good. But I'm afraid many people don't really understand what that verse is saying. And in order to understand that, you have to go back to the verses that I just read. Paul found himself in difficult situations. Paul found himself blessed by the Lord in amazing situations. Paul found himself sometimes with an abundance when the church at Philippi would give to him. Paul found himself with hardly anything, didn't know where his next meal was coming from. But he's learned. That was, that was and that is for us an initiation process for you and I to be able to become content in all things. That's, that's what Paul's saying when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's saying, I can endure all things. By the way, we have to be endure being on top sometimes. When we have everything we need and everything's going great, that's harder to handle than when we have nothing. There's so many that can't give glory and praise to God when, when their pockets are full. Some do. Some do. I remember when I first started out preaching, I didn't, I didn't think anybody like that existed. But God has shown me people that they know God is God and they have nothing without God no matter how much they have. And that's, that's hard to know how to abound. And Paul is saying he has been initiated into that process by everything he's had to go through. It's a, it's a pattern for contentment. Wow, that's, that's an amazing quality that we all need. To be content where we are with what we're doing. You know, 
I ought to close, but uh, I, I can't get off this subject of, of all this plastic surgery. And don't get me wrong, this is where somebody starts not liking my opinions or anything like that. I'll try to keep it simple. Plastic surgery started out for, for people who, had, who has had car accidents and things like that, reconstruct their face and everything. But, and look, and, 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 and some of that's fine. If somebody wants to do that, that that's to each their, their own. But when somebody goes to the plastic surgeon at 19 years old and wants their nose to be recreated to look like someone they saw on TV when it doesn't even match the rest of their face, the lack, just the lack of content. We're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We, we have such a Lord and Savior and such an amazing creator and someone who has his hand upon our life and he has a beautiful personal path for every single one of us. And when we think on that, that'll bring contentment. And the ups and the downs, they're actually helping that. Don't wish you were somewhere else doing something else. Know that nothing slips by God. And He's with you through it all. Be, be, be able to be content. God has an, a beautiful initiation process for us. And then in verse 14, through the closing words, uh, this contains another expression of gratefulness for Philippi's giving and assurance to them of the blessings of God. We don't give and we don't do because we're thinking of blessings in return. But it just can't be helped. Down the path of God's will, doing the will of God, doing the work of God, there is an assurance of blessings for Philippi. Paul is letting them know. And it's the same for you and I. Well, I took a risk here and I just did a whole message on just introducing the book. I hope that might encourage or spark uh, a new reading for you if you're through with your last one. And... Um, can't wait to get into chapter 1, verse 1 and, and go through this study. Um, your attention's been, been a blessing tonight. It's been a blessing to gather with God's people. I was just thinking as I was singing, what a, what a blessing it is to be able to, to be in the house of the Lord with His people. I hope you have a blessed night and you're safe. And uh, pray, for, pray for Beverly. Pray for Pastor Stone as well. And I mean, we have heard many, some urgent ones of family members and, and things like that. Keep your church in prayer, please. Uh, Michael Mills, would you uh, close our Bible study and prayer tonight, sir?